Welcome back to the Librarian Linkover Podcast. I am your host, Laureen Kennard. I love it when librarians hold high-level leadership jobs in library-related organizations. We have leadership, management, and budget skills. Why shouldn't we lead ourselves? My guest today is Dr. Curtis Rogers. Dr. Rogers spent more than 27 years in leadership roles at the South Carolina State Library, including working as communications director and as director of statewide library services. Currently, he owns a consulting business where he provides specialized online and in-person trainings, focus groups, meeting facilitation, and consulting services to libraries and nonprofits. Dr. Rogers is our second guest to have a degree in geography, which I will ask him about later. And I'm always excited to talk to another Gamecock working in libraries. Dr. Rogers, welcome to the Librarian Linkover. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. Give us an idea of some of the kinds of projects you work on in your consulting business. Well, I uh, retired a couple of years ago and um, I decided that I didn't want to just stop. You know, I wanted to stay in the profession. I wanted to keep learning. I wanted to keep moving forward. And so I kind of started thinking about what brought me the most joy in my career. And that was providing training. Uh, at one point in my career, I was the continuing education coordinator, which led to me wanting to get my doctor of education in curriculum and instruction. And so I thought long and hard about what kinds of training sessions I would want to offer. And I came up with this list and started working, putting together presentations. And so far in the last two years, I've really enjoyed providing a lot of these kinds of trainings. And what I've been working on is a session on communication skills, but it's couched within personality types. So kind of, you know, I mean, libraries have a lot of personality types involved mm -hmm. and a lot of unique personality types <laughs> involved among our staff. And um, a lot tend to be on the I, the introvert side, and I tend to be on the E, the extrovert side. So um, I talk a lot about personality types and communication skills. And one of the things I really enjoy doing is talking about library signage and how to think critically about library signage. One of the things I developed during the last part of my career was conducting library signage audits for libraries in South Carolina. And it was, you know, just this eye-opening experience. I ended up working with over 70 uh, library branches and conducting audits, both in public and academic libraries. And, you know, seeing how that impacted communication, customer service, the library image, how library signage, you know, how some things looked great and how some things looked horrible and what could be changed. So I always found that fascinating. And I have a few specialized sessions I started working on. One is marketing and PR skills for friends groups. I worked a lot with uh, library friends groups and in fact was on the board of the Friends of South Carolina Libraries and have worked with them a lot. I've also got a session on photography basics for PR and marketing so that, um, you know, library staff maybe don't think to or have money to hire a professional photographer for events. So this session kind of goes into, you know, the basics of photography, even some, you know, smartphone photography tips and trip, tricks uh, and kind of gets people who have to take photos at library events or, um, you know, different things involving the library, how to make those photos look a little bit better. 
Um, I've also got a session on um, thinking forward, which is really a soft skill, but um, you know how to revitalize your keeping up habits, how you can keep up within the profession, uh, library and yes. information science, and you know, kind of not only think forward for your own personal and professional goals, but how you can make your library think forward, which I think is important. And I'm also moving into the direction of focus groups and meeting facilitation. I'm working on a session that I'm developing on how to conduct focus groups for your library or nonprofit. And also I have a session on how to rethink and rejuvenate your meetings. Uh, you know, a lot of times I remember getting bogged down in meetings that I would think, oh, this could have been an email. You know, why am I sitting in this meeting when I could have just gotten an email about it? So I do a session on how to you know, rethink your meeting habits and uh, really think critically about do you need to have a face to face or virtual meeting and can it really be an email so those kind of things i've been um, enjoying doing training sessions for and i've also done a lot of these for. Um, things like web junction um, i've done training for the Tennessee State Library and archives, they have a great public library management Institute and I did a couple of sessions for them. i've also um, done sessions for united for libraries for ala uh, for their trustee and friends uh, section i've done some conference online conference presentations like the New England Library Association the Florida Online Libraries Conference, also the Southeast Library Online Conference. And um, so I'm hoping to kind of do more with um, this kind of presentation. I really enjoy doing uh, online presenting. I think it, I got really in the habit of it during uh, quarantine and COVID because we mm -hmm. were, you know, we were all sent home and we had to figure out how to do online uh, work. And I really, really enjoy doing it and um that's not to say i don't enjoy face to face or up in front of a group because i really enjoy that too in fact i'm going to be helping a library system in the chicago suburbs uh very soon with uh, their staff development day and i'm going up there to do some presentations and some consulting so i'm looking forward to that but one of the things i'm interested in doing more with is uh, virtual focus groups. I think there's a lot of kind of qualitative research that libraries can and nonprofits can get out of conducting virtual focus groups. So I'm interested in not only learning more about that myself, but offering that as a consulting service. You know, so that's the short list. Things, well, well, all of those things are so needed. And there are a lot of things that libraries just don't have time to do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They don't have anyone with that expertise. Mm -hmm. or time to learn that expertise. So that that's a really fabulous short list of your Thanks. services. <laughs> well, I love the signage, the branding. Um, one of the libraries where I was director, uh, public libraries where I was director, um, we did a new logo and then mm -hmm. we walked through literally every department and looked, scanned every single wall and surface and mm. took most, like signs, 40 years worth of signs, handwritten, word, like crazy, you know, different fonts oh, and exactly. formats and took them all down, decided, mm -hmm. do we really need any of these? Are they relevant? Like, and just mm -hmm. went through each department and redid the whole signs and it was beautiful when we got done. People yeah, underestimate the value of that. They really do. And you know, when you're working in a library setting, you become immune to all of mm -hmm. the signs around you. 
unless you're in charge of a certain sign or in charge of like a calendar mm-hmm. of events that you have to post. But I was doing uh, years ago some on-site training at a public library system for one of their staff development days. And as an exercise, I had them take 15 minutes, get up, go around in pairs or in threes and take pictures of all the signs they could find. And, uh, you know, when we gathered back together, we discussed a lot of the things they found. And one person, she raised her hand and she said, so in our staff lounge, we have a bulletin board and I found a sign that someone posted probably about 10 years ago. And in the (laughs) meantime, that person not only retired, but also unfortunately passed away. So this sign has just stayed you know, and and it didn't need to be there. It it didn't, you know, probably after a year or so, it could have been taken down. So yeah, that's one of the things I think is really important. And I get up on my soapbox when I talk about library signage and the importance of, you know, conducting a signage audit on a regular basis for your library system. Especially in your own break room. It's Mm -hmm. critical there to have up-to-date current information as well. Yep, exactly. Oh, that's great. Do you find that librarians like to hire you because you're a librarian and you get what they're doing? Also, do nonprofits like to hire you because you're a librarian, because they understand what you do? Well, those are great questions. And the first part of that question, I would say that, yes, I do think that librarians like to hire me because I have been a librarian throughout my long librarian career, I think there's a much better comfort level there because they know that I know exactly what they're going through. And having worked at a state library and in a public library, and also even before I went to work as a professional librarian, I worked in uh, as a work-study student in academic library settings. Um, so I've got a really broad range of experience that I can pull from. And I think that you know, if a librarian looks at my my LinkedIn uh, profile, they're going to see, you know, all of the stuff that I've done or my website uh, and feel a much better comfort level hiring me uh, from that aspect. And as far as working with nonprofits, I've been consulting now for two years and I have yet to work with a nonprofit. So I'm more than happy to. Um, I think it's something I would really enjoy and something that would you know, cross over easily into working with a nonprofit, like doing the meeting skills, because those kind mm-hmm. of skills are generic, or the communication mm-hmm. skills, or, um, uh, you know, meeting facilitation or focus groups, those are kind of things that cross over well. So, um, you know, like I, I would be more than happy to work with nonprofits, I just haven't done it yet. All those transferable skills mm-hmm. work everywhere. How did you decide to move from a reference librarian role in a public library to a similar role at the South Carolina State Library? Well, when I finished library school, uh, my MLIS program, I the first job I got was at the Charleston County Public Library, and that was uh, doing reference and interlibrary loan. And so after a couple of years, I really wanted to get back to Columbia and started looking around for jobs in the Columbia area. And the position for the South Carolina State Library came open and it was in the reference department. And so I had that experience and I ended up getting that job. And um, one of the things in the back of my mind was I always wanted to be the state librarian. That was Mm. kind of like, you know, my ultimate 
ultimate goal, and I used mm -hmm. to tell people at, at the Charleston Public Library, it's like, you know, I'm going to be the state librarian one day. Well, I ended up being the interim state librarian, which was about six months, and I did not like it. <laughs> it, was, it was all about budgeting and politics, two things I do not enjoy. And so when I was in that position and the, uh, you know, the, the search for a new director of the state library was going on, I put in writing to our board of trustees that I was not applying for the position. <laughs> it was just not something that, you know, it was like it, it, the fantasy was much better than the reality. So I really enjoyed doing the the work of the library and working with the libraries and not the budgeting and the politics. So I, I was able to, in my um, many years at the South Carolina State Library, move around into a lot of positions. I was actually the state library's first webmaster i remember oh. uh it was i was the youngest person on uh the reference staff the reference department and i remember vividly the deputy director coming up to me and saying if we gave you a couple of days off of the desk do you think you could figure out how to make us a website and post it on 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 the interwebs you know this was before <laughs> anybody really knew what was going on and so i said sure i'll give it a try and i remember getting a book about a brand new book about what is html and um kind of just you know doing a basic website for the state library and um i remember i had to ftp it i had to use file transfer mm -hmm. protocol and send it over to a server at another state agency so that it could then go up on the World Wide Web, which was so new at the time. And, um, you know, it was it was interesting. I enjoyed doing that. And then I moved around into the library development, library development department as continuing education coordinator, went on to become director of library development um, and interim state librarian and then lastly as communications director so a lot of a lot of different jobs at one place but uh, a lot of things that i really enjoyed doing i'm glad you got to try out the state librarian and decide if you wanted to do it because yeah. if you got into it and you're like wait a minute this is not what i want to do yeah I, I i had to do during that those six months of not having a a state librarian, I had to do the House Ways and Means uh, budget hearing and also the Senate budget hearing for oh, wow. our state government agency. And I said to myself, oh, this is horrible. I never, I never <laughs> want to have to do this again. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. So what are some of the projects that you worked on as the director of statewide library services for the state library? Well, um, when I was in the department as continuing ed coordinator, I really enjoyed providing training, like I mentioned earlier, and um, that's that was the impetus to get my doctor of education and curriculum and instruction. But when I moved into the director of statewide library services, I ended up managing a team of wonderful consultants who worked with the state's libraries on a variety of issues and Back then, uh, the uh, library development team worked not only with public libraries, but also with some academic libraries and institutional libraries. So if there were, uh, you know, like the prison library system or um, the Department of Mental Health, they had uh, facilities around the state 
um, and those had libraries. So working with all different kinds of libraries and those consultants um, also worked with children and youth services across the state. So it was interesting kind of being able to help them, you know, do their job, but also there was a, uh, the, the HR, the, the human resources supervisory experience. Uh, I did also get my certified public manager credential, which is an 18 month program. And uh, I think almost every state has some kind of certified public manager program um, that people can, um, you know, apply to and and then graduate from. You just kind of get a certificate. But um, that helped me not only learn more about human resources and managing people, but it was also a great way to network with other people uh, at other state government agencies. So mm -hmm. it was really important for that. But when I was director of statewide library services, I was also the state data coordinator. So I did that for a number of years where I would actually coordinate the, um, the, the public library statistical analysis annual survey. Um, and that was eye-opening and interesting. Um, I'm not necessarily a numbers person. I'm more of a, a qualitative uh, person, but uh, coordinating the, the state data from all the libraries was a, a real challenge and, and interesting process. And I also, for a little while, was the state's E-rate coordinator. So the oh, wow. universal service program uh, that provided funding to public libraries um, I helped coordinate that as well. So a lot of different things, you know, it was um, fascinating. And I, and I was never one to kind of turn down when, you know, a, a leader or a manager came to me and said, you know, we've been thinking about this and we'd like for you to take on this and wondered if you would. And, you know, before they could end the sentence, I would say, yes, I'll be happy to. <laughs> you know, it's because yeah. I'm very much the autodidact. I can, I, mm -hmm. I like to figure out a problem on my own and, um, so did a lot of cool things with that. I filled out a couple of those uh, state reports for uh -huh. the Illinois Public Library Annual Report. And it went from something like 18 pages down to like four or five or something because uh -huh. it was so unreasonable. Like while I was a director in Illinois, it went down, it, 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 the volume decreased greatly on what we had to fill out. So I remember thinking, I know this is automated, but wow, what a, what a lot of data they have to manage. Oh yeah, and I remember going to we need all the this data. right, right, right. And I remember going to the national uh, meetings annually for the state data coordinators, and you know, we would, and every state pretty much had one person. You know, sometimes there would be two, like someone who was taking over the position or uh, learning about it. But we would go over each data element and the wording of each data element and the definition for each data element to make sure mm -hmm. that it was something that might be needed, you know, especially if a state was doing some kind of funding study or doing uh, something else where they needed that, that kind of specific data. A lot of it did tie into funding um, and every state is very different. So every Every state had its own needs, but there had to be a core, uh, a common core of data elements that, you know, nationwide instituted museums and library services may have needed mm -hmm. to know. So it was, it was really complicated, but interesting. 
I always printed off the one from last year and then handed out the sections to the different people, like circ manager for the circ stuff, bookkeeper for the financials. Mm -hmm. And then I would have like master, we would have handwritten next to last year's number, the current numbers. So the first time I did it, I went to the staff and said, does anybody want to input this? Because then you can say you did it and it'll look good that you can say you did it. They didn't go for it. They're like, we're not buying that. (laughs) (laughs) none of them fell for it it's like <laughs> so i've got to too much on myself. my plate yeah. <laughs> i'm already like, doing too much that. that's, <laughs> that's <your> right job. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah that's it's a lot of it's but it's good information to have on the back end mm-hmm. it's interesting mm-hmm. information to have it's just a lot to go through to get it right right so i'm super interested in your communications role that was my undergrad degrees in communications and communications is such a big term so what kinds of communications goals did you have for the South Carolina State Library? I'm sure they changed well, over time, but like what kind of goals did you have? Yeah, definitely. And um, before I answer that, I'll, I'll let you know that I got into the communications director position rather haphazardly when our new director of the State Library arrived, who took over from after I had been interim director. He decided that he would do, of course, uh, you know, really close look at our organization and what needed to, uh, what was working well and what needed to be changed and that kind of thing. And I opened my big fat mouth and said, (laughs) you know, we really need to be putting videos on YouTube. We need to get on this brand new social media thing called MySpace, you know, (laughs) I was, I was really into it. And he said, after a few days, you know, I've been thinking, how about we have a communications department and you be the communications lead. And I said, okay, I'll figure it all out. And so I ended up, you know, figuring it all out on my own and ended up after a number of years with a department of four. So it was, and and a pretty decent budget, which was uh, important as well. But I think Mm -hmm. some of my goals initially with uh, a communications department for, you know, marketing and PR was to, at the beginning, really get libraries statewide involved in social media. Initially, there was a huge pushback on social media, um, thinking that there was, you know, no validity to it, that it was a uh, just a fad and wasn't going to be around long. And um, I was already seeing a lot of, you know, the larger libraries taking leads in social media and using it for marketing and PR purposes. And I ended up doing a national survey and it was around 2008. I think I did that um, or 2007, 2008. I did it a couple of years in a row on how libraries in the United States used social media for PR and marketing. And I was fortunate enough to have a um, a proposal accepted for the German Library Association annual conference. And I was able to go to uh, Erfurt, Germany, and also in Hamburg at the Staatsen Universität Bibliothek and work with their library school doing a presentation on this and also doing a presentation at their annual conference, which you know, at the time it was a department of one, I was the only communications person, but it was something I thought every library needed. And someone in the audience stood up as we were taking questions and said, how many people in, in, are in your department and uh, how have you been able to do all of what you do 
along with doing this national survey. And I said, oh, it's just me. And they, they all, you know, they thought it was kind of like, wow, that's crazy. But, um, you know, eventually being able to get the department to uh, something that was, you know, with a, a public information coordinator, a user experience designer and a graphic designer, that was the, um, the ultimate goal and something that I was able to achieve and also, I thought it was very important that libraries understood the importance of marketing and PR. I thought, and this is still one of the things I talk about in my, in my webinars, that I think it's really important for no matter what size the library, public or academic or special, that someone, uh, even if it's just a part of their job or just a part of their job description, include marketing and PR because libraries have always tended to be in a mode of, well, you know, there are always library lovers out there and they'll come to us no mm -hmm. matter what. And, and I mm -hmm. think that's a huge fallacy. I think we need to move beyond that and um, promote our services and do paid promotions um, to get people to attend, uh, you know, whether it be statewide or just the local county, uh, or just a campus, uh, you know, we have to promote what we do and there's a big importance to that. And I also think libraries really need to plan on budgeting for marketing and PR on an annual basis. And, um, you know, that's, again, I'll, those are my soapbox kind of issues that that I started doing with, with communications. Well, I agree completely because just the library lovers is not enough. You have to serve your whole community. Mm -hmm. And people don't know what libraries offer. Yep. yep. Which sort of leads to my next question. Um, you've talked about this a little bit, but what do libraries get right and what do they get wrong when it comes to communications, particularly for advocacy purposes? It's like marketing your library services is different than showing the value of the library and why we need to keep funding it. Right, I, exactly. And, and advocacy is kind of its own animal and, um, you know, it goes into understanding your mission That's and vision as, yeah, and you have to understand your mission and vision, you have to kind of have in the back of your mind, your elevator pitch, um, you know, all of those things. And I think some libraries get that right. And the libraries that get that right, are the libraries that have a marketing or a communications department or at least one individual solely devoted to marketing communications and PR. Um, and they're also budgeting for it. Um, I think that, like I mentioned earlier, the libraries that get this wrong are the ones who think that they don't need to do PR or marketing because, you know, well, if you build a library, people will come to it because there are library lovers out there. Well, yes, there are library lovers out there. But the important thing to think about is how do I reach the non-library lever or the non-user? Because, you know, even like you see at grocery stores, those red box things for videos mm -hmm. where you can pay to rent a DVD. Well, at my local grocery store, there's one of those boxes there. And then if you walk about a hundred yards, you're at a library branch with free DVDs <laughs> inside that you can just check out with your library card. And it's like, you know, how many people know that? Uh, it, and, and, you know, that's, I kind of, when I see someone at that red box, I want to tell them, you know, if you take your library card, but I'm not, I'm not doing that. I don't want to get hit or something. <laughs> 
I did the same thing with someone the other day. Like there's a free little library. We went past it. And I said, you know what? Like a mile and a half away, there's another free big library that yeah. has like a thousand books. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That exactly. are actually professionally selected and in good right. condition and maybe right. fairly new. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and little free libraries are great. Um, I, I don't knock them at all. But I think that, um, yeah, it's and it's sometimes it's the experience I think people like about little free libraries that, mm -hmm. you know, that selection, that huge selection isn't important. They, they know they're coming up to a little box just out there and, and people kind of think that's cool. People like to drop all their there are uh, books they don't want anymore in the in the free little yeah. library. Yeah, fine. You can find some gems in there, but yeah. <laughs> it isn't like you said the only source. So, what are a couple of things libraries should include in their communications plans? Well, um, actually, I think there are a number of things, um, and I'm gonna mm -hmm. I'll try to limit my list of oh, things. Oh, feel free. Feel <laughs> um, free. Number one, I think logo use. Um, libraries should always be consistent with logo use. And, uh, you know, if your library does not have a logo, then you need to get one. Um, there are lots of ways you can go about doing that. But I think that consistent use of the library's branding is important. Uh, whatever community you're in, if it's, you know, countywide or just uh, a campus, or uh, you know, it's a large library system with multiple branches, being consistent with that logo use is really important to create that awareness uh, of what the library is doing. Also, I think having a style guide is important. So you know, how your library consistently uses the Oxford comma or not in publications or how your library you know, uses pronouns um, I think all of those style guide items are important to include in a communications plan. Um, I definitely think a signage policy is important. I don't necessarily think that it's something that a board of trustees has to approve, but I think as an internal document, you need to have something that explains what kind of signs go up where and who's in charge. Um, you know, I think a lot of libraries overwhelm patrons and customers with too many signs and irrelevant mm -hmm. signs and you know I, I used to be known as the um, the signs are at my library because if I saw a sign that someone put up and it didn't go through me I took it down and I didn't ask any questions um, I would you know think about what the sign said I would uh, redo the sign on our template um, and uh, you know, then repost it. But uh, I, I always thought that you know, part of a signage policy was to make sure all of that was centralized, so there would be a good, consistent look. Um, and so having said that, a basic signage template, I think, accessible via an intranet or Google Docs or some kind of shared drive, is important. If there are staff members who need to just quickly put up a sign. Having a branded sign template as part of a communications plan that's accessible to everyone is really important. Um, one of the things that I think is uh, a lot of people tend to forget about are email signature files. Um, mm -hmm. You know, using email is kind of a daily thing, and if if you're sending out an email from your library, 
you want that email signature file to be consistent. So I think having an email signature, um, you know, whatever it is you decide on uh, uh, as part of the communication plan. So someone can go into that communication plan and cut and paste it into their email uh, program so that anytime they send out an email, that email signature is consistent. And then lastly, I think that it's really important that library communication plans have something about crisis communications mm -hmm. um, and crisis communications information, what to do in different types of crises and how that is communicated from the library or the marketing PR communications person or the library director, however it's to be done, I think is a good to have outlined. And another thing that goes into crisis communications is that signage template really needs to be accessible offsite. So if you can access mm -hmm. Google, Google Docs or an intranet, you know, if that library building has to be shut down for some crisis emergency like fire or, you know, who knows, water damage, you want to be able to print out something at home that is branded that you can go to that branch and actually affix to the outside of the building. Um, so having that, um, you know, sign template available offsite is really important as well. So those are just a couple I've, things. <laughs> I've had that experience with snowstorms in Illinois. Ah, yeah. Where we had to go, someone had to trudge to the building and go in and print off a sign and post it. Yeah, and you know you can do things like social media from your home, but mm -hmm. you you want to mm -hmm. be able to provide that template or you know some kind of consistent look with your branding so that uh, it all it all looks good. If you were teaching a library school course in communications, what are a couple of projects you would assign your students? This is a great question, and I actually was an adjunct instructor for a couple of semesters at the University of South Carolina, and um, I think two of the things that I, th I think are important for library school students or information science students to do uh, in communications, marketing, and PR, one would be to know how to conduct a library signage audit and actually conduct a library signage audit, just at the very basic level, just to be able to figure out what it's all about and how you can learn through uh, library signage. And secondly, I think having students develop a marketing and PR budget would be a really good exercise mm -hmm. to make them think about all of the different things that are involved in library marketing and PR from digital signage to billboards to radio advertising to potentially TV ads, you know, all those kinds of things and figure out how much all that can cost because some of it can be really costly and some of it can be really inexpensive. And a lot of people don't realize they can ask for a government or nonprofit rate with advertising. So thinking about those things as well. Great idea. What suggestions can you give librarians who are considering starting a consulting business? Well, like I mentioned early on, I really thought back over my career and thought, what about my career brought me the most joy? And I think that is really important if someone who someone. is thinking about leaving um, their, you know, full-time position, or if they just want to do some consulting on the side, I think you need to think about what's going to make you the happiest. Uh, and 
not necessarily make you the most money, but what's going to make you the happiest? Because if you're going to be happy doing it, you're going to enjoy doing it and it's not going to become a drudgery. So I think figuring that out first and then setting up an LLC is important. I did that through my uh, South Carolina Secretary of State's website. It took an hour and it was like only a hundred something dollars. You know, it was, it was really, really easy. Um, Then I think importantly is, and I am not a staff member of them, but I think QuickBooks is a must. I think having uh, some kind of online website that helps you manage your funding and um, you know how you can send out invoices that look professional and how you can link it to your bank account and how you can get clients to pay online. Um, those are all things that I use QuickBooks for and I think it's wonderful. Um, And then lastly, I think networking is really, really important. Um, There's a a couple of really good websites out there that are directories that you can, as a consultant, pay to be a member of. Uh, So, you know, other people who are looking for library consultants can go to those websites. So I think it's important to figure out what of those to join. And I also think that uh, being a member of associations is important, whatever association it is that you want to uh, provide your consulting services to who, you know, people who are in that association is important as well. Which leads me to my next question. Thank you. What professional associations are you in or which ones have you found the most useful? Well, I think when I started um, moving towards thinking about retiring and figuring out what I wanted to do, I looked to ALA. And Mm -hmm. um, there is a uh, retirees division. And there's also the, um, or maybe interest group and also library consultants interest group, which is part of ALA core. And so I looked into both of those and uh, the library consultants interest group um, was uh, of more interest to me. And so I joined that and I've been with them a couple of years. And actually, as of a few days ago, I am the new chair of the ALA Core Library Consultants Interest Group. So it's a great way to network among other library consultants, but it's also great for people who are in libraries and members of ALA Core to network with consultants like if they just want to kind of interact with consultants and see if it's something of interest to them or even if they're looking to hire consultants um you know just kind of being able to check out who does what because uh, all library consultants tend to have their own you know specialty and um do many different things some are concentrate only on strategic planning some concentrate mm-hmm. like me on online training so there's a lot of different things Also, I think in the past when I was communications director, um, the Library Marketing and Communications Conference is a wonderful, wonderful national conference uh, specifically devoted to library marketing, communications, and PR. And I was the secretary of that board for six years and really, really enjoyed working with those folks. And I was able to network an awful lot with colleagues who were specifically involved in library marketing communications. And also my state association, the South Carolina Library Association was really great for networking statewide and making a lot of connections. And in 2008, I was president of that association. And, um, 
you know, really used it not only to promote what the South Carolina State Library could do, but also to uh, encourage libraries of different types to network and learn from one another. So I always think that was important. Absolutely. So I mentioned in the introduction that you studied geography as an undergrad. Kate Arnold, who was on my podcast way back in episode 12, studied geography too. After a great career, after a great career in special libraries, including as president of SLA, she is now a geography teacher. For anyone who hasn't heard her episode, I highly recommend going back and catching it to see why she, she thinks geography is critical. Why did you study geography? So I, I studied geography because I was one of those kids who had National Geographic maps up all over his room. <laughs> I, I loved, um, I was always fascinated with the world around me and I was fascinated to learn as much as I could about other countries. And I, at one point, had, I think, 20-something pen pals uh, all wow. over the world. And um, interestingly enough, lost touch with one of my favorites, lost touch with her in India. And then when Facebook came along, we were able to reconnect. So that was, that was really, really cool. Um, but anyway, I was also a um, student work-study uh, uh, staff member at the MAP Library um, of the University of South Carolina. And so in conjunction with my love of libraries, but also with my love of geography, I kind of meshed the two when I found that position as a student assistant. And um, I ended up doing my um, internship in computer cartography my uh, senior year in undergrad in, um, in geography. And that was all prior to GIS. So mm -hmm. I decided at the point, you know, the, the geography kind of fell back and the library interest kind of uh, kicked forward. And so that's why I decided to move into the library aspect. Um, but um, I always found, I still find geography fascinating. Uh, there are lots of great YouTubes. Um, YouTube videos about uh, different countries, and I try to keep up that way. I do have a fantasy in the back of my mind of being a geography teacher, but then that would mean I would have to be a geography teacher. So I, <laughs> I decided that that that's not something that would bring me joy. So, <laughs> well, I'm a big road trip fan, and I oh. love maps as well. And when I was in library school at South Carolina, I worked in the interlibrary loan department and I mm -hmm. loved walking down the hall and wandering around the map department. Yeah, yeah, it's it fascinating. Mm -hmm. So where can people find you or your organization? If they want to hire you. Well, I am on uh, the web at curtisrogersconsulting.com and there's no D in Rogers. It's just C-U-R-T-I-S-R-O-G-E-R-S consulting.com. And I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn. I, um, I don't do a whole lot of social media. I also have a blog on my website that pe people can subscribe to. I don't necessarily do any specific email marketing, um, but I think LinkedIn is one of those really underutilized professional social networking tools. And um, I try to do more on LinkedIn. And actually when I do a lot of my, um, um, my continuing education uh, sessions and webinars, I always get people to do a little professional networking up front. And if they have a LinkedIn, 
link to share it in chat so that people can network with one another and um, you know get to know each other better that way by looking over their profile and seeing what they do. Um, I think that's really important. Well, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you to Dr. Curtis Rogers for being my guest today on the Librarian Linkover. I have been getting such positive feedback from listeners on my guests and my interviews. Please like and follow the Librarian Linkover on your favorite podcast app, follow on social media, and visit on thelibrarianlinkover.com. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>